The Guardian. Before you get started with this edition of the Books Podcast, we want to point you in the direction of our sponsor, Squarespace. For everything you need to set your website apart, head to squarespace.com guardian to get 10% off your first purchase. And now, on with the show. You what? You did what? Where do you think you are? You're in South fucking London. (laughs) (laughs) Hello and welcome to the Guardian Books Podcast with me, Claire Armitstead. This week we have another Guardian Live event for you, looking at how to write a London novel. I think think you write write a a great London novel or a good London novel by writing about the things that you love and the things that you're obsessed with. With much right language and, alas, not consistently wonderful sound quality, London-obsessed writers A.L. Kennedy, Will Self and Tony Parsons joined Mark Lawson for a rather rackety journey through the metropolis and the distinguished history of the literature inspired by it. We join them as Will Self, being his usual provocative self, lays out his stall to A.L. Kennedy. You know, you can be objective about this, Alison, and objectively, London is top city. <laughs> no, no, just in, in, in hard statistical terms, it, it serves the zeitgeist of the first phase of globalisation and is the synosure of world trade, both financial and physical, throughout the late 19th and into the 20th century. And, that, and now it's reassumed that position again. And that is exactly the period of the megapolis urbanization in the West. Yeah, there are bigger cities. And yeah, there are cities that have been more important at different times. And of course, if you want to take a complete kind of uh, Needham question view of the whole thing, then everything's China anyway. So what's the point in bothering? But actually, if you look at things just, say, from a Western hemispheric uh, perspective, London is top city historically. And, and actually, there's a good case to be made for it being top city in an important sense culturally in terms of the Western canon as well, in terms of what it embodies in its institutions, its literature and so on. This, so is, this is always what happens. You've got, <laughs> you've got three blokes in a suit and we're all white and we're all middle class. And we're all talking about one of the most diverse and multicolored and multi-ethnic and multi-ethnic yeah, cities in the phenomenon. world. That's a comparatively recent phenomenon. But it's now. It is. Yeah, but you're talking about a city that's two thousand years old. That's but just an so, eye blink. Yeah, <laughs> but so so much about London is about a very small view of London. And I mean, some of the things that you're you're saying that that are true about London, I know why it's a megalopolis. I would say from the point of view of enjoying the experience of living there and surviving, and surviving if you're poor, and surviving if you're experiencing the London struggle, make London unsurvivable, Mm. and make London this crushing, empty investment opportunity rather than a wonderful city, and rather than many of the things that I love about London, that I loved when I read about it in the way that I loved St Petersburg before I ever went there because I read about it. Even when I read Hangover Square, the, the mysterious kind of torment of that, was wonderful. And when I read Muriel Spark, the extraordinary shabbiness and weirdness and loveliness and quirkiness and availability and mm. odd ramshackleness of it was fantastic. And now it's, 
the oligarchs and the multiple skyscrapers and the no yeah, skyline. Yeah, but I'm just saying, you, you, the you, air. you know, what are you talking about? You're talking about a very, I'm very short period of municipal socialism. Talking about this, the, period, uh, between, the period during which I am occupying this city and yeah, people but, are trying to live in it. Yeah, yeah but the, historically you're talking about a very, very small period well, in history. you know, obviously, but, you know, it's, it's probably going to be the, the, the lifespan of a human being. Which is probably the more merciful perspective to take. If well, no, I think the whole point about city. cities is, you know, John Gray, the philosopher, says in the city, the human subject can feel himself to be but a shadow cast by the buildings. So the long view is essential for the uh, for the city writer. If that's your perspective, it's not all zeitgeisty. You must feel the shadow, man. Feel your own evanescence. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, look, I, I feel the shadow. I don't. I don't know if that comforts the people who are going to be sleeping outside. Oh, but we're not in the business of comforting. No. Have I ever been in the business? Oh, of we're going to chat for a bit longer, know. and then we've got to see my friend, and we'll open it up to the. Audience. Going back to this, Will said that you need to know the place, but there are mm. two types, I mean, of writing about a city, aren't there? The, the ones where people have been there a long time, and then people come in. As I was walking across Waterloo Bridge today, um, a, lot of a lot of lines from the wasteland came into my head. Um, how many? Well, I can't tell you how many. I do not know much about um, gods, but I think the river is a dark brown god. But then I thought of that one where... Did you um, walk round and round King William Street in a ring yeah. then? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, yeah, King William Street, New Zealand. But the thing about <laughs> the thing about Elliot that struck me was um, that he was seeing it. There's a section in the wasteland where he mm. just lists place names and churches, and that's an outsider, an American, finding these places. He's a exotic. great London writer, though. Yeah, yeah. he is. Really is. Yes, he but really as, an, as an outsider, though, he gets it. I think I think if you're at a certain point, you sort of get the way that you, in particular, are a writer, and and you feed in the things that are quite likely to happen. So if, for example, you travel at all, you pay attention and try not to do cheap travel writing or you get very interested and then you do, okay, am I going to do newly arrived or here forever? Um, when you come to London, do you, you know, what's your focus? What kind of research are you doing? Is it, is it present day? Is it past? Is, you know, what's resonating? What isn't resonating? Um, so if, again, it's a research project like any other research project, but it, it will also reflect what you feel is important about the world, whether it's humanity or some other thing. And I knew I was coming to London, but I knew that I wanted to write about politics, I knew that I wanted to write about Parliament, and if you don't know, you find out. But you can always I, you become know. a Londoner. I mean, that's, mm. you could become a Londoner the way you couldn't become yeah. English. You know, mm. uh, one of my favourite London anecdotes is Paul Weller, the musician coming up from Woking in Sussex when he was a teenager and just recording the sounds of the city on his little cassette, you know, because he had that kind of diaspora longing, that cockney diaspora longing for, for the city. What I love, and I mean, it happened on a... Do you, are, you, are you offended by swearing? Fuck no. <laughs> I just love, there's something about, and I mean, I'm going, I, you know, I'm going out with the South Londoner, but there's something about that particular song of South London and being on a train, and I mean, for that book, what I wanted to do was to, was to go all the way around and, and look at, I'm sorry, but instances of kindness between strangers, but because London partly floats on those because it's almost intolerable without it, because we have to be merciful or we don't survive, we're group animals. So I was going around looking at these examples, and they're all based on reality, the ones that I put in the book, but just hearing this sort of male angry noise in a crowded uh, ginger line train. And you're thinking, oh no, it's a drunk and it's daytime. Oh, that would be so tedious. And then 
But the more you heard the detail of it, it was this beautiful aria from this guy who was obviously just coming back from a job or going to a job with his apprentice, standing over a guy going, you what? You did what? You Where do you think you are? Where do you think you are? You're in South fucking London. You don't talk to a woman like that. That could be your mother. That could be your sister. What the fuck do you want to get off? Should we discuss this? This is beautiful. And he never drew, when he drew breath, his apprentice, who was his apprentice in every way, would say, and I've got a mum. <laughs> and the woman they were defending is sitting there going, oh, swallow me up. Oh, please don't bother. And this poor, some kind of man who is insufficiently properly South Londonly manly was going, it's like, you know, it was wonderful. It's like, this is South fucking London. You don't come here. We won't tolerate fucking cunts like That's you. That's not an instance <laughs> you know. of kindness, um, is it? He was well, defending. He was defending. He was chivalrously defending um, so a lady from a If he'd have been this properly versed in the ways of conflict resolution, he could have persuaded the chauvinistic man of the error of his ways and comforted the wronged woman. But instead, he chose a typical South London display <laughs> of ridiculous <laughs> machismo <laughs> braggadocio, which you, in any other context, no, would not no, no, endorse. No, no, no. no, no, no. <laughs> that, was, that was the sound of somebody who could be extremely physically violent deciding to be pleasant. Well, then you're patronising them. You're patronising them in, in no, that no, no, case. no, 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 no. That was within his... But anyway, and if you, need, you need to do the retroactive thought exercise, if you were to imagine a capital of England that was a, a global city, what would it be like? Uh, London, probably. So, you know, it, it, she does all fit together. And then again, look at the great London writers of the past. They're not super London-y. They've all been in and out of it. So I think some of my favourite London writing, De Quincey's Confessions of an English Opium Eater, very much about a man coming in and out of the city, coping with it, not coping with it fucking up, Defoe's Journal of the Plague Year, a very great early work of the kind of psychogeography of the city. Again, a similar sense of movement. Uh, Dickens, of course. Jack London's People of the Abyss. You know, Tony says he's a child of the Cockney Diaspora. The Cockney Diaspora begins year dot. London in 1903 is talking about the Cockney householder running ahead of a tide of speculative building towards Essex, uh, and also being pushed out by the new Jewish immigrants coming into the East End at the time. So, you know, back to it again, take the long view, feel the flux and the influx, and feel this incredible, you know, London is much more like a giant oyster or some sort of bivalve sucking in stuff from everywhere, but mostly from England. The big population flows into the city historically, and I think probably still to this day even, are from its own hinterland. That's where the I'm people sure come from. True. It's, I mean, it seems well, it certainly me that, was historically. Yeah, historically, but it feels like uh, young people that uh, are doing the kind of things that we've done all our life are, are struggling to stay in the city. No, well, that's certainly uh, true. Feel it's, uh, well, that's feel certainly it's, true. It's no, that's right. It's funny, so you mentioned um, journalism outside. But, um, I know meet a lot of actors, and most actors now can't live in oh, London, even if they're appearing in no, no, at London theatres. Yeah. So, and yeah. it's become an issue because they have to get them in and out of... <clears throat> Uh, you know, people are delayed on trains and so on. Oh, no, it, kind of... it, it, it can't go on. 
Well, yeah, everything but changes, what, 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 but you have to do like? something, you know, you have to have some I, th kind I of think influence. probably a, a, another major crash, because the asset bubble years. is there, and it's just because it's been squeezed and pushed, and, and largely pseudo-inflated by money supply adjustments. But what's, what, is, what does that mean? I've been thinking about this a lot recently, and I'll give you my wisdom. It's a debt on the future. So when people realize how most of the fungible assets are actually threatened, there's going to be a catastrophic fall in all of these long-term bonds and the associated assets as well. They must go, and majorly. Yeah. So, you know, it, it, you, you may laugh last and hardest if you, if you don't have London property because you'll be looking at a lot of sore twats who thought they were going to cash their chips. <laughs> <laughs> before, um, just before I, now I was going to talk about great London writers, Will's mentioned several, T.S. Eliot we mentioned, mm. um, John Sullivan, I would add, TV mm. writer, Only Fools and Horses, mm. Citizen mm. Smith, Only Fools and Horses, Ray great, Davis, I would add. yeah, Ray great London comedy, Ray Davis, Davis yeah, uh, Waterloo Sunset, is a, is a man yes. who's dedicated his life yeah. to yeah. Hawksmoor, tremendous, yeah, yeah. Well, and, uh, and many others, and, and I do think uh, Book of mm. Dave is one of the great mm. London novels, well, so anybody that's interested mm. in the scene mm. should uh, check thank out Book of Dave, thank you, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, any other London writers before we end? Uh, the mid-period, my name is Rodney oh, yes. and, and wrote, wrote about it when he was also writing about LA and Hollywood and, you know, a man bouncing between continents and, and cities. Because uh, pretty much all early Martin Amis is sat in a small, around Ladbroke Grove, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah. A, it's quite a micro-vision, mm. it has to be said. But it, it is, you know, it's good, but Patrick Hamilton you were talking about yeah. earlier, Tony is well worth... Really stomach-churning. Dan, uh, Dan Franklin read his second novel and it made him want to be sick. Was it I was Laura Sanchez? There was, oh, he, died, yeah, yeah. he died with yeah, his Derek eyes. Derek Cook. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 That's yeah kind of. Yeah. Kind of. But actually, you know, there's lots of people... Yeah, I think what London doesn't... You know, the thing is, we've got so many shit-hot writers and they've all said stuff here. You think about Huxley. There's loads of Huxley set in London. And actually, something like... Um, uh, Brave New World is actually a fantastic London novel. Going to play, going by Fliver to play clock golf at Stoke oh, Poges, you know. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of it's very rooted in the city. 1984, of course, written on Jura, but the yeah. Senate House is the Ministry yeah. of Truth and so on. Uh, so. Broadcasting yeah. House, they're all it's there. Stinkingly yeah. Londony. Mm. He was living in Kentish Town at the time, mm. and people who went round to visit him were alarmed when he'd smash up chairs and shove them in the fire because he was skinned. And it's interesting, there always seem to be new London novels to be written, because New York, for example, I mean, it can be done, but there's a slight nervousness now that it's all been said. But enough, yeah. it, it's to do with the rate of change. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's changing hugely, and um, the, yeah, just the globalisation mm. of the planet and the fact that a lot of people like living in London. They like them, they like the schools and they like the parks. It's such a fantastically green city, you know, it's... Um, well, I mean, it's a lot of cultural capital that's speedily being amortised and, uh, and, and sold. And guess what? It'll run out for obvious reasons. You know, wake up and smell the coffee. People aren't going to overvalue London indefinitely in that way. And you're not, you're not getting the, the New York novel in the same way because they've kind of all been um, infantilised by MA creative writing courses. So you're waiting for people who haven't been poisoned to come in and write, and there are a lot of people coming into London who haven't been through that place your metaphor here yeah, but, thing, or, mm -hmm. you know, let's write another 30-something novel about somebody writing a novel about a 30-something 
person in the village. Please don't do that again. But I don't um, think that's happening, Alison, at all. I don't get. I mean, we're all really old. Where are these young London writers coming up of crevasse cosmopolitanism, writing these incredible? Like, where are they? Most of the people uh, in the room are old as well. They won't know. <laughs> we're all try, old. Try, I don't know try what reading the last one. Like like There's Lumberstan, isn't there? He wrote Lumberstan. That there are loads, yeah. there are loads. I, having just judged the last oh, Granter mm. Best of Young British oh, Under you? 40 novelist list, well, I thought I might be interested in literature. I mean, there is a lot of stuff out there. And um, what was it like? It was astonishing, but almost everything was coming from outside the UK from different extremities of experience. Um, was it any good? Yeah, there was some stonking stuff. But it's not by, um, dare I say, indigenous writers of any kind. They were indigenous to somewhere. Do you mean that they come from somewhere else? You're saying they're not real Londoners? No, not at all. No, I'm just wondering what people are writing. Alison's got the What do you mean the, by indigenous, though? What? What do you mean by indigenous? Were they born here? Right. Some of them, some of them not. Some of them first generation, some of them, you know, mm. fifth generation, whatever. But um, they're from different heritages, is what you're saying? Yeah, and a lot of things about displacement, about identity, about... Well, fair play. Lots of different I mean, friction. In... There was some... Mix, you know, it was very exciting, actually. There's almost no coverage of books in television, in the papers. People mm. don't really get reviewed. Making a list is a terrible solution to that problem, but at least it gives some new writers a little bit of oxygen. It's, yes, it's totally invidious, but everybody judging it is trying to make it as useful as possible. A you couple know. of newspaper editors, editors of whole newspapers, have basically banned fiction reviews, haven't they? They only want non-fiction. Yeah, it's awful, and the, the situation in, in, in Scotland is even worse. Yeah, I warned it's, it's you about terrible. this years ago, but you wouldn't listen. <laughs> <laughs> Did I you did. warn us well? I mean, in this very effing newspaper, yeah. I yeah. warned everybody some years ago what to expect, but they yeah. wouldn't listen. Yeah. And now look at you all bleating about it. <laughs> <laughs> They're all grinning. They look terrible. <laughs> look, we, have two, um, we have two microphones um, at the, each side of the room. So um, who, who would like to start us off? So. Hi. Um, Will and I are colleagues at Brunel University, and I recently finished teaching an undergraduate course on the literature of London. I was wondering, people on the panel, if you had the chance to curate such a course, what would your canonical texts be? Jeez, I think we've... Well, we've mentioned lots of them. Um, I, I yeah. think Money, the Rachel Papers, uh, The Wasteland, um, Hangover Square. Um, yeah, you, you, can tell, you can tell a lot about the, Book the, of history, Dave. the history of London through its, its crime. I mean, there was a wonderful, mm. there was a yes. wonderful exhibition Social at the Museum of London, yeah. which, is, which was about one room in New Scotland Yard, what? room one-on-one, -on -one, the Black Museum. And, um, that, and that, that is such a fantastic history of the sea. And from Islamic terror back through the craze mm. of the Richardsons all the way back to Yeah, yeah, the but you've got, you've got to curate books, Tony, yeah. actual books. I think one of... One of, one of <laughs> if, you, if you look at the sub-Dickens writers, um, I mean, there's the, uh, the, you forget how funny the Victorians were and you forget how crazy... You know, going to the Vauxhall Pleasure Gardens, it's, it's like Sodom and Gomorrah almost immediately. Well. And... There are, there are lots of books, uh, I'm very good at remembering titles, but not very good at remembering names, but Valentine Vox, slightly sub-Dickens, but still very funny, still very playful, full of London and all the very peculiar ways of mm. getting around and mm. the different 
different ways of being able to meet people within a society where you weren't allowed to meet people and different ways of being sexual with people when that was so difficult. Um, and a great thing called the Bachelor of the Albany, the Bachelor of mm. Albany, about a bachelor who lives in Albany, which obviously is still there and is, you could write a novel about Albany. But again, incredibly There's one funny. called The Albany Murders, I think. There's an early crime yeah. novel. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could just... Conan Doyle. Yeah. The, yeah. The, the first, the sign of four, is the best yeah. description of the building of South London suburbia that there is in literature. Conan Doyle is a master at describing London's built environment. J.G. Yeah. Ballard's Crash. Ballard never liked to be thought of as a London novelist and believed that he was completely decentered and just off. But actually, I taught it the other day to our students, Crash. You're very London. And he didn't, of course, he didn't come here until, he didn't come to the country until yeah. he was 16. So. Well, I used to lie about that. Oh, really? <laughs> um, Alison mentioned uh, Muriel Spark. I mean, if you ever want yeah, to do a yeah. course yeah, that you can have all the postal, I mean, all the districts of London. Far Cry from Kensington is... Um, Ballad of Peckham Rye, they're all in there. And one of the things which is given what we're talking about, the context of this, how expensive London now is, I think someone said this earlier, the constant theme in Muriel Sparks' um, fiction is how cheaply you can live in London. I mean, it keeps coming um, back. And then P.D. James, late P.D. James, James novel, James, A Certain uh, and Justice. John Le Carre. John Le Carre, yeah. right? Yeah, Graham yeah. Greene and John Le Carre. London yeah. Lab and one Mother of those. London, Graham Michael Green. Michael Moorcock, yeah. which yeah. is a sort of... A, and actually, I think it qualifies as a literary work, is Aykroyd's London, a biography, yeah. which is yeah. a superb... But the descriptions of uh, London, particularly by the Thames in P.D. James' A Certain Justice, are amazingly good. I mean, she's a great writer of place, I think. Yeah. I've aren't never right? read P.D. Yeah. James. I once shared That's a cab London with one. her, though, and she was such an old dragon. I thought, I'm never reading your fucking book. <laughs> <laughs> she's she right up presence. herself. She'd she been given presence. her DBE by Thatcher, and it was like a broom up her back rectum. There's certain people who not only shouldn't get honours, they should actually be smeared publicly with excreta and beaten through the streets, somewhat as they did in the days when Newgate was operating. The poor old Baroness James. Uh, um, <laughs> yes, a woman of so. famous sweetness. and um, yeah. He obviously, she got you on a bad day, or vice versa. But, I don't know. Was she the famous sweetness? Yeah, yeah. Oh, well, I remember, because we were published by Peng, both published by Penguin in the 90s, and I remember that, that um, she wasn't that nice to the little people, Mark. That can't be true. She was really? published by Faber for her entire life. She was the one. She was a Why one, would I have run across her then? I don't know. You're not mixing around with somebody else, are you? Well, you know what? Your memory is undoubtedly. Oh, there were Penguin paperbacks, weren't there? Thank you. Before Faber did. Yeah, yeah. Thank you very yeah. much. Because I really yeah, she was a penguin. worry about yeah. my memory. <laughs> Anyone on this side who would like to grab Lindell's microphone and. What are the clichés of the London novel? What should be avoided by London novelists? Well, I mean, I think, what, funnily enough, what the discussion, if it's revealed anything, is that we don't really think that it's the kind of city, and this is, I think, you know, this little discussion about the New York novel, and, and I don't think there is a distinctively London novel in quite that way. I mean, I think, you know, in other words, I think the city's so big and looms so large that you can treat it as a world entire. So it's the same problems that you, you have with any novel of place. Cliché is the endless enemy. Whatever the cliché is, it has to be avoided. It's Unless an interesting can... question, because the notorious cinematic one, which is the red bus and mm. the black cab and, going yeah, round yeah. Well, I, I think can... Palace, are there literary equivalents of that? Well, there, there are. I mean, I, when I was... I, I cashed in my pension and took a couple of years off so I could write my first 
crime book without a contract. And, and I thought deeply about avoiding, how do you avoid cliches? How do you avoid the cliches of the, the, crime, crime, the crime novel? Um, and to me, the great, one of the great cliches about the London crime novel is it would be set in Scotland Yard. And um, so you just have to, you know, you just have to get your inner ear to to avoid anything that seems as though it's been done to death to you. I mean, my novels are set in West End Central, and because I, one of the first um, one of the first pieces of journalism that I ever did after you know staying up with Iggy Pop all night for a few years was writing about the Vice Squad in West End Central, which is in Savile Row. Which is a, a strange little street full of nothing but bespoke tailors and this massive, great police station. Um, and so I knew it, and it seemed like a good way to swerve the cliche. So you know, you just develop that ear. You know when something has been done. To, if you're writing a London novel, you just know. You just, you just, you know when something's a cliche. If you feel that it's been done to death, you know it's not just specific to the London novel, but the... Right, rhyming slang is one of them, isn't it? Because um, writers that come from outside, particularly Americans, they become obsessed with rhyming slang. Yeah. And they have lots of dialogue about, yeah. do you want to walk up the apples and pears and all yeah. that although, kind of stuff? Although, you know, although it can still be used, you know, you, you yeah. can still use it, but... It, and it, it changes, uh, doesn't it, amazingly? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah everybody was getting he fucked up. written this for a while, Everybody was they? getting fucked up the Gary for a while. <laughs> <laughs> No. If you don't know, you shouldn't be here. <laughs> yeah. uh, well, I mean, it would be the same rules apply, really, that you're trying to make the people unique people and then it will become more unique. And if your voice is unique, it will seem less cliche. But um, I don't think there's I mean, any, any. I mean, you know, it's like any. You've got to go and listen to the dialogue live. I mean, the problem with most oh. written dialogue is that there's no relation to how anybody speaks. So, you know, it's kind of let alone native Londoners of whatever stripe. I'm, yeah. I'm sorry I said the word native again. Don't get me wrong, it's not some sort of weird Nigel Farage attack that's <laughs> taken me over. I don't give a shit who lives here, and I actually believe in completely open borders. I couldn't give a toss. It makes me hoot with laughter. The idea that the Windsors, for example, might be turfed out of their ugly Thomas Cubitt house. <laughs> that would be great, wouldn't it? <laughs> I mean, certainly from outside London, the, some of what uh, you might think of as the London cliche, you know, the, the Richard Curtis palette, but that's mm. a lot of sort of middle-class cliches. And mm. those, but that that's was a much more sense. weird cliche, wasn't it? Because it was a London that didn't actually exist and possibly <laughs> never had done, but it was no. one that he invented. Oh, no, I think it was entirely accurate. It was... I know that London. I'm a man of many parts, and, <laughs> and some of them are rag-rolled and stiffled. Well, where it always, <laughs> where it always snows and... Yeah, happens, yeah, you know. I've been yeah. there. I mean, yeah. admittedly in a K-hole, but I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, it does exist, that kind of rag-rolled, kind of girls who live in, in, in Chiswick and drive mini-clubmen. I mean, I'm going back a few years. But they've been yeah. around for a while. Yeah, no, it's very real. And they don't really, of course, live in the actual London. They live sort of between here and the country, and they're yeah, always coming Yeah, you commute, and, going, and you've yeah. got a country So they're living in this kind of much, yeah. you know, again, it's a different sort of place. I mean, the, the city's big enough to inhabit these alternate realities. Having a dog called Toby. Yeah. But yeah. Lucaro said it's not, you know, because he, has, he writes, still writes about the secret world and, and all that, but he hasn't actually, you know, he, he did that for a few years, and, and then he's been a writer for half a century, and he said that, uh, the important thing is not authenticity, 
but credibility. So you just have to believe in, and a lot of that, a lot of the language of Lucare, he invented. Yeah. You know, and, yeah. then, and then it feeds back into the culture, like um, oh, yeah, you know, no, the they... Sopranos quoting The Godfather and Goodfellas. Oh, yeah, well, the, the greatest story about that. I mean, there's, all, there's spooks love Lucare because, of course, they, they've got, they're absolutely, if you've ever met spooks, they're devoid of imagination. They have no, that's why they're spooks. So the idea that anybody could invent anything and associate so they just take it on. Mm. They all talk in, in stuff they've learned out of Le Carre. It's hilarious. But by the same token, um, they got a tape. They had a wiretap on the New Jersey mafia. Who, and one of the wiretap conversations was them discussing the Sopranos the problems, yeah. and saying that the scriptwriters must have a plant in the family because the dialogue <laughs> was so accurate. <laughs> they said, who have they got? Who do you think is feeding them this stuff? <laughs> So just go and, you know, take your tape recorder and listen. Yeah. Tony, Tony and I are big Ian Fleming fans, and actually those moments yes. in, the, um, in, the in the Bond books where yeah. he comes back to London, usually from somewhere incredibly exotic, yeah. I think those are tremendous little bits of London and, writing. And, and uh, you, you get the clubs and the And, and he, lives, I mean, he lives in the... In Bond, lives in, in the London of, of, of Ian Fleming, and yeah. he couldn't, you know, he's, he's, you know, he's living in some... F- Fancy gaff, and he's driving his, uh, you know, he's, his a he's, a, he's a civil servant, you know, he's a civil mm. servant, and yet, and yet it works, and you believe mm. in, uh, yeah, my, my guy in these in these crime books lives in a, a loft in Smithfield, and somebody said, well, he couldn't possibly live in a loft in Smithfield because he couldn't afford it, you know, a young single parent cop couldn't afford to live, but you meet strange people. I know people that um, that were in care that will inherit. 10 million pound homes because of who adopted them. There are all these weird mm. anomalies that you get in London that I think you, you clearly you get a, a lot less of elsewhere because it's not so much money knocking around. Um, yeah, but um, no, Fleming is another great London writer. Well, I mean, there are certain kind of structural oddities about London that encourage these fictional, you know, exactly as you say, Tony, because I mean, if you think about it, the fact that you can't legally know who owns anything in London. Mm. Well, it's actually kind of interesting that there's no... So it means that whenever you're looking at something, you don't know who's alienating it from you. So there's that kind of unknowingness, I think. Yeah, there's this rumour about this massive great place Mm. that's being built, the most expensive house in London being built on the edge of the heath. And is it Putin? Is it, you know, it's obviously someone at that high table. um, But we don't know. And I think people reinvent themselves a lot in the city. That's why they come to cities and why they, you know, and I think that the, the, the rate of, again, of change in people is phenomenal. You know, you, you tend to assume in a naive way that people remain the same in their lives. It's a bit like if you think of the names in Dickens. The names in Dickens aren't particularly made up by Dickens. People did have those funny Dickensian names in the Victorian, last names, and they've all kind of changed a bit. And people don't kind of get that sort of sense of movement in time and also in individual lives. And one of the big problems, I think, in literature is capturing the movement of time, really, in mm-hmm. that way. But that sense of shadow, I mean, Len Dayton does it as well. All of that, the, the Len Dayton, Graham Greene, that, that yeah. sense of some shadow entity, I think, is really good to insert in London because it is so huge that there are so many possibilities. And you do come, I mean, coming from a very, very, very small town where everybody knew exactly who you were and where you'd been and who your dad was. It's fantastic to come 
even for a small amount of time to London, because, yeah, you can be whoever, and you're, you're constantly on a mission that's secret or peculiar or whatever you want. But we talked about the literally underground London and what's underneath, and that's happening again, because those very rich people are... I mean, they're just going yeah. deeper and deeper into the earth with yeah. these basements. And then that amazing thing that happens where they find an unexploded World War II bomb mm. when they're digging mm. down. So there's so well, much there's underneath. Su- there's, such a, such a, there's such a gold rush in, in London property that, that this is a... And they've got the people that are coming in tend to have limitless funds. Mm. So the old, the old London that, that we grew up in, where you kind of gradually edged your way up the property ladder, rung by rung, book by book... You know, it's kind, it's kind of gone. It's gone right, now. Right, fascinating anomalies. I mean, at the top of the Bishop's Avenue throughout the late 70s was a large biker squat opposite Kenwood with kind of people mm-hmm. shagging in the front garden and getting mm-hmm. loaded. It was great. But, I mean, you had those kind of... Or, you know, I mean, talking about the, the rebuilding here, old, we were talking about bomb sites. Old Street Roundabout was one big bomb site yeah. right up until the early 80s. I mean, it was just absolutely sold all there. And there's that moment in Shepherd's Bush to Holland Park where you go from, um, I mean, poverty to some of the most mm. expensive houses in London just in a couple of streets, mm. and that kind of thing happens as you. As well, you that's walk. always been one of the interesting things about the city, and that's because of the very rapid, uh, not relatively, I mean, the kind of people moan about gentrification, but think how you'd have felt if um, you were living in inner London. You know, when, when the big Victorian speculative building boom happened. Uh, I mean, the house that I lived in for 20 years in South London, the 1880 census, it was built for an upper-middle-class family with servants. Mm. By the 1901 census, it's been subdivided into five flats. You know, so it kind of... It, there's nothing new under the London sun, in a way. Yeah. And it can happen again. Whereas the, the difference is now that at those interstices you now have a, a, it's a gated community, so the fact that it's... Oh, we had those people. as well. There oh, was... yeah, but I mean, it's, come, it's come back. Yeah. Um, we've, got, we've got two people with microphones. Gentleman over there and then lady there. Yes, first. Hello. Um, yes, you talked a little earlier on about the change in the ethnic composition of London yeah. in the last few generations, and it seems to me that it's very difficult to write a London novel without embracing that. So I could ask the panel's views on how you might achieve that in a meaningful and convincing way? Well, John Lanchester tried, didn't he, in Capital, where he has... He did try, yeah. I mean, he tried to nail yeah. it. He tried to... So, because, I don't know, have you read Capital or seen the oh, TV no, version? I, yeah. And I thought he, he tried it. He tried it, yeah. He stereotype. But he perhaps proved how impossible it is to do. But, yeah. but he certainly... For him. Yeah. But he certainly <laughs> tried to do it, where you go from uh, millionaire footballers to... Yeah, like why didn't it work? I'm wondering why it didn't work. I'm wondering why that book didn't because I read it too and I mm. and I didn't think it worked. I thought we I thought we wrote brilliantly about London property all day long. You know, Berry Brothers and uh, you know Amazon are bringing deliveries and they're like supplicants to these houses. I thought he did, did that did that better than the people. I spent a lot of time in Serbia because I send a, sell a lot of books in Serbia and 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 uh, I find them really lovely, warm, um, open hearted people and yet. In movies and in books, they're, they're usually the villains, Serbs are the villains. So I try to insert a few Serb heroes and nice people, <laughs> kind, kind, nice Serbians. So I think, you know, you, you um, subvert the cliches and you follow your heart. I think that's how you do it. Yeah. I think, but it's per- sorry, 
Powell and Pressburger, or particularly Pressburger in his script writing, because he was coming from Hungary and it became part of somewhere else and somewhere else, and then it was under the Germans, and then he came through France and he learnt multiple, multiple, multiple languages. They, they were very good at filmically presenting very quick vignettes with different people from different places, but they had a particular... I mean, as you say, they had a unifying idea behind that to say these are all people who are trying to do something and they had they had a particular view of what humanity was and they would even give you a U-boat captain who was in some way functioning as a human being. But I mean Pressburger had a had a, a large exposure to lots of different cultures and, and understood them and understood multiple languages so he could kind of do that. You you need a, a real rooting I think in multiple cultures. And I, I think that the the problem with, with Capital, the problem with that book is is, he, is the author wrote about it as though it was uh, just something that had recently happened. Whereas I was in the Polish club last night around the corner from mm. uh, the Albert Hall, mm. and there are pictures of Polish airmen who, you know, it's, all, it's knocking on for 100 years now. Mm. And, uh, you know, this city has got a really strong connection with Poland and the people of Poland. And uh, it's not something that's just come in with the Premier League or come in with the 21st century. So I think the, the more you know about your city, um, the better it will serve you. But I also think in this discussion, which I hadn't expected to come out, that it's um, perhaps the mistake is to try to write a London novel, that uh, mm. it's almost, it, it has almost regional variations because we talked about a course you might put together that you have the Peckham Rye novel and you have the Ladbroke Grove novel and you have the South London novel. And, and, you and, can't Dickens, actually and do Dickens, the you know, thing. you have the Kemp Marshes yeah. and there's, there's that sense of, you know, the, the, the country beyond the sea. Well, Heart of Darkness is a great London novel. Mm. And Secret Agent. Secret Greenwich. Agent is a crack. Mm. Greenwich a really novel, yeah. Novel. Um, but just, uh, am I right about this, that the distinction between the city and the counties, that is something that has changed, hasn't it? Because, uh, like, Middlesex seemed part of London. Uh, well, Middlesex doesn't actually exist anymore. No. no. And Essex, uh, the D Essex and London, there was less distinction, wasn't there? Like, when your parents moved. Well, I mean, just for, for you know, 30 or 40 years, there was, there was that trail, which I don't think, which is not happening anymore. And, um, and there are people, um, you know, on, on that um, T-O-W-I-E, on that TV programme, mm -hmm. the only way is Essex. I mean, these, these young people clearly identify with Essex. They mm. think this is their place. Well, That's what I was getting we, at. Yeah, which, I think which, it, was a, it was a sort of part yeah, of London, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, absolutely. Which, um, yeah. you know, there's that, you know, there's the... Well, there's it, that it, very nice sort of tight umbilical relationship between the city and Essex since the Big Bang in the 80s. So if mm. you stand around Liverpool Street on a Friday night, you can actually sort of feel the drunken humming tension between there and kind of <laughs> you know you, you would go back to see you go back to see your 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 nan and you would go back to see the you know the people that hadn't left mm. and that were yeah and um and that that's ended um very patient lady yes yeah my mine's not a question i just wanted to speak up for a novel that hasn't been mentioned yet which is george gissing's new grub street oh yeah and and, and a wonderful account in which the um heroes Rise and Fall is charted through his moves around London from the respectability of Westbourne Park, where you can keep a carriage and your muse, to horror of horrors, his starvation in an attic in Islington. Yeah. I'm sure somebody must have done it at some point, but I'm sure you're on a tube map you could stick, London Underground map, you could put a novel. They must have, but it is possible, I think. There is, I think there must be one for everywhere now. Yeah, just quickly, and leading on from this gentleman's question over here, 
Um, thinking about John Lancaster and about, say, Zadie Smith, there seems to be this um, desire to write across class and across um, different cultural backgrounds. Do you feel a responsibility as London novelists to do this, or do you think it is okay, just like Patrick Hamilton, to write about one guy bumming around in a pub? Is that okay now, or with the sense of history behind us and how much the city has changed, do you feel a big responsibility to have to write across class? And across cultural boundaries. Well, You're quite right. Um, Zadie Smith's Sand W. should have mentioned. Yeah. That's, I, wrote, uh, that's I mean, I've written uh, with characters from different heritages from my own. I mean, I can't, you know, I can do that shit. You know, I grew up in, I went to school, we had three moieties in the class. We called ourselves the, the Yachts, the Yids, and the Packies. And the Packies were all the kids who'd come in from the the East African Asian exodus in the early 70s and you know Gujarati and Punjabi kids who'd end up via Africa and come in the Yids were the Yids who'd come of course were in their own diaspora from the East End up to North London and the Yorks were just Yorks weren't they uh, but no I mean I find this a bit weird I mean we're talking aren't we talking about literature we're not talking about marketing I mean, well, I write what I want to write. I don't. If I yeah. if I happen to come across a character and the characters from a different heritage and they have to be, then I'll work on it to I the extent I need to. But I don't set out to write panoramic books that embrace the whole world. It's not a fucking coke commercial, you know. It's like <laughs> what the fuck. Well, I, I I think that you shouldn't feel a responsibility, but it just makes you know. It's just gives it a bit more. Fiber, you know, that if, if the, as multi generational as you can make it and just as varied as you can make it, but it should never be a strain. You know, it should be what fits your story. I think everything is a slave to the story. Um, you know, I, I, that's, what I, that's what I think. It's just everything is a slave to the story. It's what works for you, and you haven't got a responsibility to anybody or anything apart from your story. But with Max Wolf, did you always know it was going to be London? Yeah, I was stuck in a lift with James Elroy in Germany, I'm and uh, and it really and it really got me. And we were in this tiny little lift in uh, Cologne, and it really got me thinking. It felt like about it just two or three like months, but it was probably about five or ten minutes. And I was thinking how important location is to Elroy, and that, and actually how important location is to any specifically crime writers, you know, from. Conan Doyle to Raymond Chandler yeah. to, you know, yeah, it, it tends to work if they're, um, if, 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 if they're, if they, you identify with a contemporary city. And um, so Max Wolf had to be there. And then, and then it's, and you know, I was thinking about Fleming, I was thinking about that kind of wish fulfillment of what's a really cool part of London that I've never lived in, that I've always loved, and I've always loved. Smithfield, always loved, always spent time there. So, you meaty. Know, the, I'm sorry? Meaty. Very meaty, yeah. Very you don't meaty. Eat very meat, very, though, very meaty. Um, not so much. You spent a lot of time having breakfast there, didn't you? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah but the thing, I've had a, bre in, had a few breakfasts with you there. Yeah. So, um, I think location is fantastically important, for, specifically for crime novel. I never really thought about it until. Um, and James Elroy, yeah, I, and I wanted to ask James Elroy about. Um, Location, the importance of location, the importance of a city, the importance of LA to him. I, I was a bit too shy, and uh, and and um, in the end, all I could say to him was, "This lift is uh, moving at a glacial pace, Mr. Elroy." He said, "Listen, kid, when we started out, I still had hair," <laughs> which I thought was a lovely James Elroy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, I mean, yes, I'd, at, the, I'd, at the very back. Sorry, Alison, you were... Sorry, I sorry. thought I dropped a battery or something. Yeah, no um, I'll let you do it in a moment. Yeah. Hi there. Sorry, I tend to find anything about London in novel form dizzying when the geography gets too spread out. And to me, I think it was one of the, the greatest crimes ever that Peter Cook never got to do his book, My London, which was just detailing his journey from his front door to William Hills on uh, Hampstead High Street, which was all about 200 yards. Um, and one of the books that's really done it for me for London in the last couple of years was Girl on a Train, because it literally was about 200 yards of mm. a railway track in South London. And just the richness that can be bought out of just a microcosm of a location rather than, oh, this is leafy Islington. Oh, look at the yummy mummies with their tractors. And so I, I, like, I like London when it's, it's really melted down into something very, very tiny and very, very specific. And that's it. <laughs> I'm not sure where I was going No, that's a good point. We haven't mentioned the commuting. In T.S. Eliot, I mentioned an amazing bit in the wasteland where they all come oh. across... Waterloo Bridge, the death had undone so many, yeah. But, but I think we aspire to that Peter Cook London, you know, we aspire to that, that village that we love, you know, we aspire to that. I mean, I, I live in the same neck of the woods as, as him and he's, a, he's, an absolute, he's like the patron saint of NW3, Peter Cook. He's really deeply, deeply loved. And I think that, um, I think, and I think a lot of it is people admire his life and envy his life that he didn't. He didn't go far, you know, he didn't feel the need to go far. It was, um, why would he leave? Why would he leave church rather? He was just a hopeless alcoholic, Tony. What the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> You're absolutely mad. <laughs> but we, we we, we, sorry, Alison. Yeah, but I mean, I d ideally, whatever you're writing about, it's going to organically it fit. Does. You know, all of the parts of it will fit organically. And I mean, hopefully, as a writer, whatever you're writing, if you were going to walk out of the building and get hit by a truck, you would have said the thing that burnt within you that you had to say. And it's not like it's going to be a canonical novel or it's going to be a London novel or it's going to be a woman in peril novel. It's going to be the thing that you have to write. I, I, think, I think you write, a, you write a, a so great you London novel engine. or a good London novel by writing about the things that you love and the things that yeah. you're obsessed with and uh, the, the things that hold your heart. And I think if you do that, I think that's the best, that's the best, uh, you know, I, I, after writing the first of these three books, I felt I couldn't do it again, I wasn't sure I could do it again, and my editor said, have you ever been to uh, Highgate Cemetery? I said, oh yeah, everybody knows Highgate Cemetery. She said, no, the other side, not the side that Karl Marx is buried, but the, the west side, which is close to the public. She said, just have a wander around there and have a think about it, and, and it's completely different. The west side of Highgate Cemetery is this, you know, Victorian graveyard that's been reclaimed by nature, and it's incredible. And, and Kensal Green Cemetery is another amazing one. Have you? Yeah, I yeah. think the monuments on the west side of Highgate, though, take the biscuit. I mean, there's entire sort of reproductions of Luxor in yeah, there, kind yeah. of. Yeah. It's and I think, utterly bizarre. And, and I think if you if you follow you know the London that you're interested in, then it'll, that's the best thing you can do. I think the worst thing you can do is to think, you know, I've got a replicate the ethnic makeup of the city and the way it's changed. I don't think you should do that. It's, um, that's, not, that's not how you proceed. You proceed with what holds your heart and what you love about yeah. the city. Because, you know, we all find our own London. Uh, you know, Peter Cook, Cook is a great example because that, that, was, that was it for him, you know, yeah. stumbling from, from one end of Church Road to the other. And we all find our own London. 
The last thing I want to discuss, we because Will is at the end of his contract now, so we're about to go, is that um, we have... Um, I didn't even sign a contract. We, I we, could just piss off now. <laughs> we've, talked, we've talked about the London novel as a positive thing, but remember, I mean, that phrase that came to book reviewing in the 70s, the Hampstead adultery novel, mm. which was seen as the worst thing mm. um, and was... Marvel. I've written lots of novels about adultery mm. in Hampstead, mm. actually. But that was the idea that it was what? It was insular and... Well, not, and also it was an world. idea that, you know, Hampstead was um, middle-class English people mm. that probably read The Guardian. And it's kind of, you know, it's not like that anymore. They can't afford Hampstead. I know, but the problem is, if you live anywhere near Hampstead and you shag somebody who you shouldn't, it's really going to weigh on your mind. And if you're a novelist... <laughs> you've, you've got so a book. You know, you've right, got a book. exactly. So, I mean, why knock it? I mean, it's fine. I wrote a story called Volvo, uh, Design Faults in the Volvo 760 Turbo. That's all about adultery in Hampstead. You can read it free on the internet. <laughs> Thank you very much to, <laughs> to Will, Will Self, Tony Parsons, A.L. Kennedy. Thank you to our panel. Thanks very much for all of you. Thanks to A.L. Kennedy, Will Self, Tony Parsons and Mark Lawson. Tony Parsons' The Hanging Club is out from Century. A.L. Kennedy's Serious Suite is published by Jonathan Cape. And Will Self's The Book of Dave is out from Penguin. We'll be running more literary discussions from our Guardian Live Events programme over the summer. You can find out more about them or book for future events by going to Guardian Live. Ian McEwen and Jonathan Safran Foer are among our upcoming guests. Or you can listen to them all here in due course. Just search for Guardian Books Podcast. Until then, from me, Claire Armitstead, and my producer, Susanna Tresillian, thanks for listening. This Guardian podcast is sponsored by Squarespace. To find out more about how to set your website apart, head to squarespace.com slash guardian. For more great downloads, go to theguardian.com slash audio.